Welcome back to Inside Fantasy Football. Today we're going to cover the AFC and NFC Championship games. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right in in the Saints and Rams NFC Championship game. I know we're going to eventually work our way to the missed call, uh, but we will start at the beginning and work our way to the end. Kind of go over the action here. Um, there's a lot to cover in these two games. Both games went into overtime. Absolutely great games. Uh, there were some ups and downs, of course, and we will try to cover those in the next few minutes on this podcast. Uh, Sean Payton, first of all, I love the coach. I've always liked Sean Payton, and I love the Saints organization. I love Drew Brees. But they made a lot of mistakes in this game. They could have won this game. They're the best team in the NFL, in my opinion, from top to bottom. The Patriots are playing the best here at the end of the season, as they always do. Uh, but as as far as pure talent, from top to bottom, roster-wise, coaching-wise, the Saints should be in this Super Bowl. But there were mistakes besides that missed call at the end. It's hard to get around that, I understand. It's a hard pill to swallow. But the, the Saints could have put this game away, or at least had a bigger lead. Uh, towards the end of the game there to put this game away. The first quarter, they were getting threes instead of sevens. And that's an old school football saying that if you don't get the sevens and you end up kicking field goals, even in the beginning when you're hot, that first quarter was dominated by the New Orleans Saints. The Rams were on their heels the Saints were doing what they wanted to do on offense. And honestly, and on defense. I mean, they were just really, the crowd was in it. Everybody on the New Orleans side had a feeling that they could just roll through this game. And I really thought there was a good chance. The problem was, to me, in that first quarter, and I think it bit them at the end score-wise, is... Sean Payton, and, and I, I like that he likes Hill. I get that he likes Kaysom Hill. I understand that. It's worked for him throughout the year, at least most of the time. He's a risky play caller, so I know that's part of the deal. I'll give him that. But those mistakes in the red zone in that first quarter, being up 6 to nothing instead of 14 to nothing, I just knew at that point that I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But I had a gut feeling that this was going to come back to haunt them towards the end. Because these two teams, overall, were pretty close, talent-wise. Everybody surrounding that game, including Vegas, everybody on the betting side, fantasy side, you name it, knew it was going to be down to the wire. And games that are down to the wire, a lot of times come down to how you handle the red zone. How many times do you turn the red zone into seven instead of three? And I think Sean Payton missed the boat here a little bit. Uh, he, I think that is his Achilles heel. He is a Super Bowl winning coach. They do have a Super Bowl under the belt. He's won a lot of games there in New Orleans. Turned that franchise around. I give him 100% respect. I love Sean Payton. But he gets a little too cute at times. Even towards the end of that game, those last few drives in regulation, run the ball. And I know the Rams are, you know, stiffening up their second quarter on, especially in the second half. Wasn't very easy to run the ball, but mix it up. You've got Kamara and Ingram. I would have just pounded the rock. And every now and then, yes, you're going to get stuff. They've got some big boys up front, the Rams do. I, I get that. 
But use that play action. Breeze is a killer in play action. You pound the rock, pound the rock, pound the rock in play action. And he got away from that. He got too cute. Started, you know, the passing the ball. When you have first down, you're approaching or you're in your own, in the red zone. How in the world? And I'm just, I mean, People that don't even know that much about football. I mean, little league coaches will tell you. uh, You do not throw the ball on first down in that situation. I get it. 99 out of 100 times, Michael Thomas would have caught that ball. Breeze would have put it right where it needed to be. Breeze underthrew it a little bit. Thomas didn't, of course, catch it. Clock was stopped. I, I was floored that that was the decision that they went with there. When you have two, not just good running backs in the backfield, but great running backs. Well, I know Ingram might be borderline, but Kamara's great. How can you not, and that really hurt. That hurt the Saints big time. It gave the Rams an opportunity to have enough time to do what they need to do. And I know that we're talking about a play that happened right before the missed pass interference call and honestly I'm in the I'm in the group it's not popular but I honestly believe there's no guarantee even if they would have got that pass interference call that Sean Payton wouldn't have mucked it up somehow I, I really believe that uh, the way that he was he was off his game a little bit in this game he really was it, it was He's always risky. I understand that. But there's just certain decisions that you just do not make. I don't care how flashy of a coach or how you love to call risky plays or whatever. First down, less than two minutes. You want to eat clock or at least, at the very least, cause the Rams to call timeouts. Waste their timeouts. And Peyton did not do that. And to make it even worse, on the very next play, they ran the ball again. I mean, they passed the ball again, I believe. I mean, I don't understand the thinking. I I really don't. I I just... And and to go back to the first quarter and into the second quarter, how can you not... If you're this risky, go-for-it type play caller, take that risk trying to get a 7 over a 3 in a game like that. At least one of those red zone situations, they had an opportunity. Let, let's call a quick slant. Let's make it happen. Michael Thomas got great hands. Breeze is very accurate. You know, and at the end of the day, I guess the Hakeem Talib, Talib is better than what people thought he was going to be in this game. You got to realize this guy was great for many years leading up to this season. Dealt with a major injury this year. He's obviously healthy again. He handled Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas did not do much in this game. Disappeared. And that's a problem. So to think, after all of that, after everything I've said, the Saints still, I understand, it comes down to that pass interference to a lot of people. It shouldn't have. It should not have come down to that pass interference. And I hate to be this guy, and I know I may, I hope I don't lose too many listeners here, because I know people are very uh, intense about that game. And it did hurt to see that call not being made. But there were a lot of missed calls in that game. The drive before that, Goff in the red zone, they missed a face mask that would have, instead of the Rams kicking a field goal, would have put them first in goal. 
And the Rams with Gurley, I mean, they're going to score in that situation. I would have put seven up instead of three. So you really can't, there's at least I can look back. There's the, I mean, there's at least four to five missed calls in that Ram Saints game. A few of those calls would have led to points. So to say that the missed call at the end, everything rides on that call is not the exact way to look at it. Even though it was egregious, it's probably the worst no call. And I know I've heard some lists going around. I thought about starting a list. I may, we're about to re-up the website. When we do that, I may start a list on, you know, worst calls not made. I've emailed back and forth with a few people over this subject. To me, it's the worst I've seen. It was a very obvious uh, missed call. Uh, Multiple guys had eyes on it. Uh, I hate to say it, but the ref, the line judge that had, you know, coming up the sideline there that had a perfect view, he played for the Rams in the early 80s. The guy lives in L.A. That is a problem. Uh, the NFL needs to make sure, and I'm not saying any cheating happened here, and trust me, I love the NFL. I'm praying that that is not the case, and I'm not trying to insinuate that at all. But they need to vet their refs better as far as Conflict of interest. If you've got a referee in a game with a crew, and even though it's a good crew, but one of those refs played for one of the teams at some point in his life and lives in the city that that, that one of the teams play in, that guy should not be on the field. He should have been replaced. There cannot be any... And this goes for the NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, any of these major sports, NHL, I'm not a you know, hockey guy, but any of them. You've got to keep conflict of interest out of it. These guys are human beings too. They're fans as well. At least most of them. And I'm not saying he didn't call it because he played for the Rams. I honestly believe he didn't call it because at that time, that crucial call that could win the game for the Saints, whether any referee, not just the guy that played for the Rams 30 years ago or whatever, but any referee is going to be hesitant to make a call that is going to win or lose a game for a certain team. I'm an um, I've been umpiring baseball for almost 20 years, about 17 going on 18 years. And I can tell you, I know baseball is a different animal than football. But it, th- there is a hesitant um, there's a hesitance to be the guy that decides the game when you're an official even now if it's egregious you've got to make the call and I've always taken the approach personally that if I see it I'm going to call it I don't care what part of the game it's in but it's human nature that most if not a good number of officials don't want to be the one to decide the game and I think he hiccuped there I think he got uh may it might be because he was tied to the Rams a little bit Probably got a lot of family and friends that are Rams fans. And he just couldn't... It's almost like he figured out a way to get out of that call. Or just say he missed the call. I think his original statement was that he thought the ball was not catchable. Which, when you see the replay, it's impossible that that's the case. And I've heard him backtrack it already. I think it's down to just, I missed the call. And I think they're... There's a lot of people talking mechanics. Multiple refs were looking at different angles. They've got different responsibilities inside the red zone. I've heard all the excuses. 
They're looking at certain areas, very easy for them to miss it. It's all about angles. I get all of that. But at the end of the day, it was very obvious. It wasn't a bang-bang situation. The ball was not overthrown. Uh, it should have been called. And we'll just go with missed call. I'm not going to... I know everybody's ears have been talked off this you know, this whole week about this subject. But in the future, the NFL's got to do better. I think in the last two minutes, at least in the playoffs, maybe not regular season, but in the last two minutes of all playoff games, I think there's got to be a quicker... Any call that is made uh, or missed in the last two minutes can be reviewable. In other words, there's headsets out there for these refs. Why not have a guy? Only in the last two minutes of a game. Not the entire game. Not the first half. But the last two minutes of a ball game to make sure that something like this does not happen again. There can be somebody in New York going, hey, 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 guys, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, that was pass interference. Call it. Throw it now. There can be something that quick. Why not with today's technology? Those guys are out there with these guys running around so fast. The decisions that need to be made on the fly on an NFL field as fast as and big as these guys are. It's a tough job, and technology can only be there to help. I think Major League Baseball has leaned on technology more recently, and I think the NFL needs to take a little page from that. It's helped baseball have less of these calls that are just, you know, ruining a game or losing a game for a team. And I think the NFL, I know it's a different animal, but it can be done. The Rams on the other side, I know we've done a lot of Saints talk here. We're going to move on from that. I think everybody knows exactly what's going on there. And there's nothing else we can do as NFL fans but move on from that. The Rams, however, uh, they really uh, played a better game than I thought they would, especially after that first quarter with the noise. There was trouble with the headsets. There's communication issues. I was worried that McVeigh would do what Peyton did. Uh, I was worried that he would get too flashy. And uh, he really, he played within his head. He didn't go out of the box too much. He didn't get too flashy. He kept golf uh, controlled. I think they're, once they got comfortable in that second half, Golf was making pretty good throws because the routes being they they adjusted, which in the NFL is huge. That's why the Patriots are the Patriots. They're the best, the best at making adjustments at halftime. And I think the Rams made more adjustments than the Saints did. They understood what kind of defense was coming. They put their receivers. They knew they weren't going to get a long ball. So instead of getting the long ball, they ran a lot of curl routes, a lot of crossing routes, and it worked. They didn't blow the Saints out of the water, but they did enough. That last drive to tie the ball game, not to win, but to tie the game after the missed call when the Saints went up by three. The play calling was great. They just moved the ball down the field. Goff was very accurate. And this is a game where Todd Gurley basically disappeared, just totally choked for the Rams. I mean, he held on one play. He uh, caused an interception. The ball was right in his chest. That wasn't on Goff, that interception. That was on Gurley. He put it exactly where it was supposed to be. And Gurley's had good hands all year. That had nothing to do with the knee. Nothing to do with the leg. Gurley said it himself. I'll give him credit for that. But, I mean, he just was horrible. He didn't show up for his team in the biggest game of the year. I hope he can make it up in the Super Bowl. 
But Todd Gurley, I mean, as good as that guy has been all year, and you can play the injury card all you want, he choked. Luckily, luckily they had C.J. Anderson there to hold down the fort. He didn't blow up or anything, but he held down the fort. He got some big yardage for him when they needed it. Good blocker. You know, he's got a ring with the Broncos. The guy knows how to win. And I think C.J. Anderson might be the guy that really propelled this team into this situation. He stepped up for this team when they really needed somebody to. Other than that, golf and the group of receivers did what they usually do. They didn't put up crazy numbers because the Saints came to play at home. Their defense was not messing around in this game. The Saints played very well on defense. I will give them, even though they ended up losing the game, they gave up that drive to let the ball game get tied at the end after the missed call. They still played hard. They were all over that field. They were in Goff's face a lot. And it was very impressive. Really, the Saints' defense, to me, even though the outcome turned out the way it did, they they played as, as good of a game as I think they could have against a very, very good Rams offense. But the Rams offense and McVay, they did what they were supposed to do. And this kid, McVay, the coach, man, I mean, I just love that he stays the course. I love that he doesn't. He doesn't cave. He stays the course as far as his play calling. He doesn't. If you give him one thing, he's not going to change it. Uh, Gurley freaks out on him and totally chokes. What does he do? Okay, get CJ in there. I'll continue to run the ball when I need to. We'll just go with CJ Anderson. And it was funny. Gurley's a pretty good blocker, even though he held, he had a big holding call and he had a missed holding call as well. But there were times when he brought Gurley and it was just to block or to be a decoy. And that's a guy that knows exactly what he needs to do to get what he wants out of his offense. And it's it's just beautiful to watch. this. McVay, I just love this kid's approach. He's going to be a great coach for 20 to 30 years, McVay. He really is. He's that guy. As early as he's starting, he's probably going to be you know, in the record books because you know, he's starting at 30. This guy's going to get 30-something years in. Uh, I don't see him leaving the NFL anytime soon. And the way he approaches the game, the way he's changed the game, there's a lot of copycats going on in the NFL right now watching McVay and these Rams play. A lot of approaches will turn into the Rams approach. And that kid is a big part of it. I mean, Sean McVay is just absolutely impressive. This game showed it. Biggest game of his life. And he stayed calm. He called his game. He knew what golf was capable of. He knew the defense would eventually give them the opportunities to win this game. And when that opportunity came about he stepped up so I give all the credit to Sean McVay and that coaching staff to come into New Orleans into that dome in that noise and still perform at 100% your abilities is extremely impressive to me Uh, it was great to watch it was such a good game it really was both of them were but I mean that Saints Rams game miss call or not just a joy to watch um, but before we move on to the Pats and the Chiefs, I, I do want to say I feel really bad for Drew Brees because they're going to lose Mark Ingram. And I, I don't know how big of a hit that is because Kamara is that good. And I'm sure they'll get another back to fill that role. But there's a there's a possibility this could be it. And uh, I hope, I hope. I mean, you got a quarterback that's reaching, you know, he's 40 years old now. I don't know how many opportunities, you know, he's going to get. At least he does have the one ring. But as good 
as a, a, a player Drew Brees is. He's a just a great man. He's a great ambassador for the game. And I really, really felt bad that he didn't get his shot this year. That team might be the best team he was ever on. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm battling a cold. Uh, so, uh, we will see in the future for uh, Drew Brees and Sean Payton. I hope they get another shot, maybe even next year. I think next year, the window's getting short. You know, it's, it's, it's really it's shrinking up on them. So I think next year is probably their best bet uh, to get back at that Super Bowl. And I hope it happens for them. I was really sad that it ended that way. Um, but I, I'm, like I said, I'm in that unpopular group of people that think they, there's no guarantee the Rams wouldn't have scored with whatever time was left that they wouldn't have got the ball down the field and kicked a field goal. Cause you've got a guy that can kick. Did you see the 57 yard field goal by Zerline? It, it could have been made from 70 yards in that dome. Zerline, I think could have hit from 70 yards. I really do. Like he could kick from the other side of the field. That is how strong Zerline's leg is. And don't forget before we move on, I want to remind everybody the saints got the ball first in that overtime. They had a chance to drive down the field, put seven on the board, and walk away and go to the Super Bowl. They didn't. The Rams came and they blitzed. Flowers got in there, got his hands on the ball and in Breeze face, and threw an interception. So, the Saints did have an opportunity with the ball first to do what the Patriots did in the Chiefs game and just drive down and put it away. They did not do that. So don't forget that. They had a chance to make up for what the officials did to them in regulation. And they didn't. So that's part of the equation as well. They had more than enough time. And there were a ton of missed calls in that game before and after the horribly missed call. So make of that what you will. We'll move on to the Patriots at the Chiefs. And this one, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but it went exactly like I thought it would. It even went a little bit more than what I, I was wondering what Bilicek would take away from Andy Reid and the Chiefs on offense. Because that's why he's who he is. That's why he's the best head coach of all time in the NFL. Is He's very good at taking away the opponent's weapons. And he'll choose one weapon or the best weapon, whatever... He feels his defense is capable of doing. So I had said last week on the last podcast that I thought that they would pressure Mahomes enough to not let him run around and run ragged and get those receivers like Tyreek Hill enough time to get open. They did that. They blitzed more than they had all year. They did not let Mahomes run around and have time to throw on the run. Tyreek Hill was basically invisible except for that one long catch. And that's because they were in Mahomes' face. Van Noy was in that backfield all day. They they were pressuring Mahomes. If they didn't sack him, they were pressuring him, hands in face. They were running him to the sideline. He did not have time to look downfield on the roll. And that's where Mahomes is in his natural uh, uh, area. That's where he feels comfortable. Is When he's on the run, he loves to throw in those different arm angles like a shortstop in baseball. And he loves to show that arm strength. But if you've got a guy in his face and you've got a guy chasing him, 
a lot of that changes and the, the Patriots showed that. So I knew that that was a possibility they would do that. They did that and they did it very, very well. Not only did they do that, I said they'd probably take away one of the weapons. Well, Belichick even went a step further and you know basically told me, look, I can do even more than what you think you I know. He shut down Hill and Kelsey. Kelsey, where was he at? One of the best, second best tight end. I mean, right there with Ertz. I mean, back and forth, who's the best receiving tight end in the game right now? Disappeared. That Patriots approach. What I'd said last week about the way the Patriots, their ability to game plan in the postseason is remarkable. And they proved it once again on Sunday that if you give Belichick enough time, and especially if you had played him previously in the season, and then you have to face him again in the postseason, the reason why Bill Belichick and, and Tom Brady are what they are is what they do in the film room. It's what they do behind the, the scenes, however you want to phrase that. They watch a ton of film, especially Belichick and his defensive coaches. They sit and they break down what what can we do to fray this offense? What can we do to, to make them think, to, to, to put them out of their box? And that's what they did. They just, a beautiful game plan of, they thought that the Chiefs, and it worked, they were right. The Chiefs weren't expecting the Patriots to blitz as much as they did because all year they didn't have a pass rush, pass rush and they did not blitz very often. They were one of the least blitzing teams in the league. Well, in the playoffs, it's been a totally different story. The Chargers and the Chiefs will tell you that they came at them. They did not give Mahomes the time he needed. They rattled the kid. Now, it was still a game that went into overtime. The Chiefs still played a very valiant game. Mahomes still did the best that the kid could do, considering that the Patriots came in with that great game plan. But once again, Tom Brady, being Tom Brady, stepped up. He makes big throws in big games. Gronkowski, I said it on the last podcast. I thought he would step up on this game. It's just one of those games I had a gut feeling that he was going to make some big plays in the red zone for this team. And that's exactly what he did. Brady went to every time he would go out. And I know this is with the help of everybody's been talking about Tony Romo. And he was absolutely great in this game. I mean, he was calling everything as it was happening. But every time Gronk would, you know, go out to the, the flats, if he <clears throat> motioned out to the sideline as a receiver, they would put Barry or a safety on him. Every time a safety would be put on Gronk on the outside, he would just eat him up. It was going to either be a slant or a go route and a throw, you know, just a ball thrown up and let Gronk use his size. Worked like a charm. And then the Brady throw to Dorsett, you know, a little underthrown to let Dorsett make the adjustment. I mean, just beautiful. Tom Brady, uh, can't, I mean, there's nothing I can tell you that you have not heard yet about Tom Brady, but good Lord, what he proved this Sunday at what, 42, 41, what is he, 42? The guy is just nails in the postseason, does not. He just does not blink in the postseason. Just very accurate throws. Some of those throws he made to Edelman, even the interception to Edelman was right in his hands. It was a catchable ball. He just zeroes in. All that preparation, all that stuff they do behind the scenes, 
the the film the practice the repetitions that the patriots do they practiced in the snow all week i mean this team comes in prepared every week and i knew well i can't say i knew but i had a very good feeling that when they won that toss the very first thing that crossed my mind was oh god they're just gonna drive right down with the way they were running the ball i mean i hadn't even mentioned sony michelle yet I mean, Sony Michelle just lights out. The, the running game period was just eating the Chiefs alive. We knew that might be a problem. The Chiefs tried to absorb that. They knew that they were going to give up some yards on the ground. But good Lord, in the red zone, I mean, the, the Patriots just pounded it to them there on that last drive in the overtime. They just ran the ball right down their throats. And that attack with White, Burkhead, and Sony Michelle, along with Brady and Gronk, Edelman, it's going to be, I have another podcast next week before the Super Bowl that's going to, you know, give you a breakdown uh, of what I think is going to be relevant. Maybe some daily fantasy. I know it's so zeroed in for the Super Bowl. It gets kind of strange. We might even talk a little prop bets next week. But right now, I can tell you as of today, it's really hard to bet against the New England Patriots. They are just doing what they've done for 18 years extremely prepared. I mean, can you really bet against Bill Belichick with two weeks to prepare? There's no way. I love Sean McVay, but his offense is no more difficult to figure out on film than Andy Reid's. I mean, to me, McVay is an offshoot of Andy Reid. Andy Reid kind of created this, this McVay-style offense to me. I think he's kind of the original. I think McVay has made it his own and turned it into his own. But Andy Reid was really the first guy I saw run plays that are just outside the box, kind of like what McVay's doing. So to me, I think the Patriots will come in prepared. The Rams do have a very good offensive line, a lot better offensive line than the Chiefs. Um, Better receiving core overall than the Chiefs. Definitely better backs than the Chiefs. So I don't think that it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be another close game. I don't think a lot of people are starting to really lean towards the Patriots just blowing out the Rams. That Rams defense is not as bad as people think. Hakeem Tlaib is going to be there. Edelman and Gronk are going to have trouble with Tlaib. And I think a lot of times, anytime Gronk motions out and goes out wide, the Chiefs made the mistake of putting Eric Berry, a safety or a linebacker following him. Can't put a cornerback on him because they'll just jump ball all day. But, Tlaib is a different different style player. He's a bigger, longer defensive back. He can get in Gronk's face. Now, of course, he's not as strong as Gronk, but Tlaib's an athlete. He's bigger. It's going to be a little tougher. So I do think Tlaib's going to do a lot of Gronk following. If Gronk stays in, I think Tlaib will stay off of that. Then you've got Tlaib on Edelman or Dorsett. I mean, these guys are not going to be... Um, Brady's not going to have an easy time is what I'm getting at. It's not going to be a blowout. It's going to be closer than people think, but we'll get to that on the next podcast. Right now, I'm definitely leaning anytime. I'm just, I've learned my lesson after all these years. It's really hard to bet against Belichick when he has time to prepare. We'll see. I'm hoping for a great Super Bowl. I think, you know, two good coaches at two different points in their careers. It's the new guy against the the great, you know, probably the greatest coach of all time at this point. It's going to, the storylines should, you know, go on for days. It should be a blast. But the Patriots basically proved why 
they are who they are. And they had such a strange year. There were times throughout the year that they I didn't think they were anywhere close to a Super Bowl run. I really, they've done this to me numerous times, and I'm not the only one. That's the funny thing about this dynasty is they don't remind, you know, people like, oh, well, I went, you know, and in my generation, a lot of people my age, you know, we remember the 49ers dynasty in the 80s and into the 90s. And basically the 80s. I hate to say the 90s because Cowboys fans get angry, but the Niners are pretty good there in 94, 95. Anyways, the 80s Niners, that dynasty was different because the Niners were far and away better than most teams in the NFL. They didn't have very many lulls. You would watch them throughout the season. They would show their games every weekend on CBS if they weren't on Monday Night Football. I mean, they were just the hottest. Montana, Rice, I mean, they were just flashy. People loved them. Fun to watch. And still, to I still think the 94, there's a couple teams, a couple Niners teams to me in that. The 89 and the 94 Niners. Those two teams are two of the best teams of all time. I still think that Niners team that beat the Broncos in 1990 by like, I think it was like 54 to 18 or something crazy like that in New Orleans. That team could be the best put together NFL team of all time. I mean, that's how good they were. But that's the difference is there was no doubt. The lulls that the Patriots have through the seasons, except for that one season where they had a chance to go undefeated. Almost every one of those seasons, they go through a stretch of games where you're like, man, I don't know. They just look kind of dead in the water, not much energy, might lose a game to the Dolphins or something. And you're thinking, man, there's just no way this team's getting back. They don't have enough talent. There's many years with just Tom Brady not having enough talent around him. At least it appeared that way. But then they come to the playoffs. And as they get in the playoffs, they just seem to get it together. There's talent that comes out of the woodworks. It was the uh, Brown earlier in the 2000s would come out. Like he wouldn't do anything all season. Then you get to the playoffs and Brown would be this great receiver for the Patriots all of a sudden. So it's one of those things that I don't know if it's Belichick. And like I've said before, all dynasties have, have to have a little luck mixed with preparation. And I think the Patriots... There was that offsides call, D. Ford on the Chiefs in this game, that the Chiefs had a possibility of winning that game if he wasn't offsides there because Brady threw an interception. That's on the luck side. Interceptions, you know, overruled because of the offsides. First down Patriots, they move on, they score a touchdown. So there is a lot of luck mixed in when there's a dynasty. And you can call it what you want, and a lot of people talk about the Patriots cheating and all of this stuff. It's a little bit of everything. They've got luck. They've got preparation. They have talent. And this team this year was really funny because there was times where you knew there was talent spread out, but you had Gronk that looked like he was close to retirement. Still does, but he's stepping up here in the playoffs. Sonny Michelle dealing with his knee up and down a little bit. Burkhead was hurt most of the year. James White is a good scat back. He's not an every down back. Not much in the receiving core, but Edelman. The defense doesn't have a bunch of big names either. But once you started watching this team down the stretch, the last few weeks of the season, it opened my eyes, that Chargers game. The way they blew out the gates against the Chargers, I was like, oh, Lord, here we go again. This team's just going to steamroll right into the Super Bowl, which they pretty much did. I mean, they I can't say they steamrolled the Chiefs, 
but they definitely won the ball game. They they made bigger plays at bigger times. So once again, the Patriots will be representing the AFC in the Super Bowl against this young, fun Rams team. It's going to be a blast to watch. All right, guys, until uh, the next podcast where we will cover next week, we will do our predictions for the Super Bowl, maybe some prop bet talk and a little bit of daily action. There's not much uh, we can go off of in one game, but I'll give you some nuggets going into that for the few guys that will be betting and playing daily in that game. I know a lot of people are having fun with the prop bets in Vegas. I try to stay away from that. It kind of drives me crazy. I go down a rabbit hole, uh, but we'll cover a few of those. They're kind of fun to talk about. Um, until the next time, guys, I'm out.